Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today has been a high school science teacher for 19 years, lives in Nashville with his wife, son, cat, dog, and hedgehog. He studied martial arts for over 25 years and in 2013 launched the podcast, The Martial Thoughts Podcast. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Jared Wilson. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, not too bad, all things considered, and I'm <laughs> glad to be anywhere right now. That's good. Good, good to hear it. So, well, what we do with all my guests, I want to go back to the beginning. Uh, you know, I kind of in your bio, you told me when you started, but I want to know what led to that. What led to that first interest in martial arts, that first spark, and, and kind of how that journey began? Well, there's two kind of like beginning impetuous, depending exactly when you want to talk about it. The first is uh, kind of a weird thing that I've always had swords around my house. Nice. My mom was a Middle Eastern dancer, a, you know, a belly dancer. Okay. One of her specialities was dancing with swords on her, balance on her head. Wow. So we always just kind of had a couple of swords lying around her house, her, her dancing swords, right? So we, that was always part of it. And then, you know, as I you know, went to middle school and grew up and played D&D and always kind of had that. And I've toured around uh, Europe a little bit, always went to the castles and saw swords. And eventually uh, I got to college and I wanted to you know, this is my uneducated mind at the time. I wanted to learn how to use the best sword ever made. So I went to go figure out how to use the Japanese sword, which, okay. you know, uh, it, that was uh, kind of driven by the, the TV show Highlander at the time. Nice. And the movie. But yeah, the TV show was, was on the air at the time. So that's where I kind of, uh, that was the initial in, uh, well, it was the initiative for actually getting me onto a dojo floor. Okay. And what was that first dojo in style? Uh, it's a style that doesn't exist anymore. It exists, but it changed. It was in Gainesville, Florida. At the time, it was called uh, Yamagatoru Bujutsu. So it was a Japanese semi-traditional unarmed Aiki and Kenjutsu art type of thing. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and what what did it change to? Uh, I, I lost track of the initial instructor, uh, Jason Back. He lives in uh, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, if anybody knows that, but... I lost track of what he calls it now, just over the years. Okay. And what was it about that specific style? What drew you into it and, and kind of made you want to do that? And then how long did you stick with that specific style? Well, again, the, the main thing I wanted to learn how to do was uh, Japanese swordsmanship. My okay. studies have kind of gone back and forth between the, the, the swordsmanship and the unarmed versus and then back to the swordsman and then more to the unarmed. But it's kind of gone back and forth between those two aspects. I was there while I was in college. So I was there for about three and a half years or so. Okay. Nice. And what are some things you remember about some of the classes and your first instructor that kind of stand out? <laughs> so, uh, the dojo that we were in was, uh, a converted bowling alley. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a new one. So yeah, that's a, it's a weird one. So it, it's kind of like they had the original lanes. They just kind of pulled up that piece of wood and just used them as the, the wooden floor. 
Really? So you still see like the lane markers on the floor. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, you know, we do, you know, kicks or, or, you know, sword cuts up and down the dojo and you'd follow the, the bowling lanes. <laughs> wow. That's just one of those weird things. What I, a couple of things I, you know, technique wise or something like that, I specifically remember is it was very, very good fundamentals without teaching me. I was knowing good fundamentals. Uh, it, it wasn't until later that I kind of figured out what it was we were doing, but he did a very good job of instructing the uh, the basic pieces so that I could put the pieces together later in other arts. Okay. And you said about three and a half years. So what, what was your next step in your martial arts journey then after college? Well, um, when I graduated college, I went back down to South Florida where my parents were living. And again, wanted to look up uh, Japanese swordsmanship. And I found a place uh, that wasn't too far from where I lived. So I went there found some of the best friends I'll have in life and ended up doing a lot more of the Aikido than I did the Kenjitsu aspect of the, the classes, but that's where I kind of went from there. Okay, cool. And at any point during your career, did you teach at all? Yeah. When I was in South Florida, um, I started, well, pretty quickly I started teaching the Kenjitsu uh, just because there weren't a lot of people that had any knowledge of the system. So the fact that I had some, you know, kind of bumped me up pretty quick. And then after about four or five years there, I started teaching, uh, um, one or one or two nights a week with the Aikido. Oh, okay. In fact, actually, here, here's a funny bit. I had started teaching high school by that point, but I had, I was never an education major. I was a, a zoology major of all things. <laughs> really? Okay. Um, yeah. University of Florida was weird at the time I was there. They didn't have a biology major. They made you decide between botany, zoology, or microbiology. So anyway, they have a biology major now, but it was just that weird couple of years when I was there. But so I kind of stumbled into teaching uh, high school science. And then I started teaching Aikido and I'm like, well, maybe I should start reading books on how to teach. So I actually learned most of my like pedagogy from actually becoming a martial arts teacher. <laughs> wow. Okay. Nice. So at any time did you try, try starting a, like any kind of martial arts club at the high school you were teaching at? Was that ever a thought? Yeah, I've done that a little bit. <laughs> well, before COVID we had one. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and then you know, like so many other things, COVID ate everything. So yeah, definitely. We haven't been able to do that for, well, since before COVID. And and how long did you stay in that now? Is that the area you're still in or have you, have you moved again since then and, and joined other schools? Well, I, down in South Florida, I was down there uh, training for about, probably about 10 years. Okay. About seven or eight years ago, I moved up to Nashville and I had a, a, a kind of an opportunity there. I could try to take some other form of Aikido that was, you know, in the city, but was similar enough to what I was doing, mm-hmm. could try to teach, you know, the same stuff I was doing in Florida up here, or I could go for something completely new. So I kind of tried all three of them at the same time. Okay, nice. <laughs> and then just kind of see which one filtered out. I, I started taking um, uh, Penjak Silat, which is an Indonesian martial art. Mm-hmm. I took that for about a year. And uh, the gentleman that was teaching it, uh, he, he lived about I'll go 40 minutes south of me. And then he moved like another like 25 minutes south of me. And I'm like, uh, that's, that's just enough that I'll never be able to make it there in a, often enough. So I did that for about a year. There was a branch of the Aikido that I was doing in South Florida that's up here. But again, it was just far enough away that it's hard for me to get there. And then I tried offering classes here. I had a couple of friends, you know, taking classes for about a year. And then eventually I found uh, a, a system that I had known about for I don't know. I honestly, as long as I've probably been involved in Japanese swordsmanship, happen to have a branch school here. Join that. Okay. So 
going back to like when you first started teaching back then and whether it's martial arts or high school, whatever, but how do you think your teaching style has changed over the last 25 or so years? Well, the biggest thing I can tell you, at least uh, in general, is it's not about the information. Teachers are not the gateways of information. They aren't. That's not the source you go to for information anymore. Uh, And they shouldn't be. With all of our great modern technology, everybody has all of human knowledge, you know, in their pocket at all times. Getting to it is another thing, but, you know, everybody has it. Right. Teaching is more about teaching people how to learn rather than how the actual information itself. Even with the martial arts, you know, most of the katas, most of the forms, most of the ideas, you can go on YouTube, you can read it on journals online. All the information is out there. It's just how do we interpret those and put it together as a, how do you connect the dots? It's kind of like the way that I think about it. Right. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. So I know you, you've done a lot with with swords. Now, have you, my own curiosity, just because I have a, a, a local school in the area, but have you ever done any Aedo? Uh, there's, uh, yes and no. There okay. is uh, some that's in the stuff I did in South Florida. Okay. And the stuff that I'm doing now has some of the drawing techniques, but they're, it's not Iaido. It's, it's, without getting too technical, it's classic. Mm-hmm. Iaijutsu, which has a different form and different function. Okay. But it's one of those things that 90% of the people in the world looked at it, they go, it's exactly the same. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I was just curious just because I, you know, I had seen him, our local instructor do a demonstration about 10 or so years ago. And that was the first time I ever actually seen a, a real mm. Japanese sword demonstration. I mean, I'd seen some Kendo before and that was about it. Um, yeah. So it was just seeing that live and in person was just, it was just such a beautiful art and it was just fun to see. And it's, that's the only one we have around. Other, we have fencing too, but that's a, yeah. about it. And then some of the um, uh, traditional Taekwondo schools also uh, teach uh, Kundo, which is the Korean version of Kendo. But, right. uh, but Aido was, <laughs> but it's was completely different. Completely different. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That is true. (laughs) So yeah, I was just, I was just blown away by the art itself, seeing it. And and it's just, it's it's fun to watch. I know that. So I I know very little about the styles you have studied. And I know when you kind of sent me your bio, I started looking them up a little bit and I'm I'm fascinated by, by arts that I've never seen in person for sure. Yeah. That's that's one of the fun things about, you know, doing my podcast is I get to talk to all, it's a, it's a way to like legally internet stalk people and have them talk to you. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's a good way to like, I've never heard what your martial art is, but I want to talk to you about it. Got a podcast. Why don't you come talk to me about it? Well, it's funny you say that because when I, I, I mentioned before I started in radio, back in 1989 when I was 15 years old. And I remember the, when the first time I was working one evening by myself at the radio station and I found our celebrity Rolodex, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> this could be cool. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to remember the first, uh, I know I back I mean, I grew up in Minnesota and I actually remember the first time I got to talk on the phone to Jesse Ventura. It was shortly shortly after he had got elected mayor uh, down this, in, in Minnesota and stuff. And I got to yeah. call, call and like produce the interview and stuff like that. So it was kind of, entertaining but i'm like man i have all these celebrities phone numbers in here and kind of the same thing now it's like now you have their email addresses their phone numbers you know however and it's it is it's a, it's a legal way to stalk them and it's kind of fun <laughs> so what led to the podcast what did the the blog start first or the podcast start first well originally the podcast was me and uh three friends that were just kind of you know like most things you sit around the dojo you tell stories and mm-hmm. you ask questions of each other and you talk about all the stuff you learned and at some point we decided you know, we should record this. So initially it was like the four of us just kind of sitting around and kind of, I came up with like a, a subject material talk. And then we would just kind of sit there and talk about it for as much as we did on, on microphone. And then eventually I moved up to Nashville and I'm like, well, if I 
I want to do this. I, I, I can't just talk to myself. So I started interviewing more and more people. Okay. And that's where more, more of the interview part of it came in is basically uh, it'd be boring for me to just kind of sit there and lecture. <laughs> right. I don't know. I could be uh, an expert on to lecture people about for martial arts. <laughs> yeah. I know that's one thing I got lucky with, but with my background, it's the interviewing came easy to me, but I, I do another podcast on a completely different subject matter or the same type thing where, you know, it was just me talking for a while and I'm, I'm like, I should change this up and, and start bringing guests, guests on the show just to, cause I was, it's like I said, nothing to do with martial arts, but I basically have a local theater podcast. I have you know, yeah. family who are involved in theater and I was going reviewing local shows and I listened to the solo podcast and it's like, it just sounds like me reading a review. And so I started <laughs> now having guests who also went to the show, come on and we talk about it together. And it's so much better. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do have a couple episodes where like I have it turns out it was much longer than I intended it to be, but I have a three-part episode on Miyamoto um, Musashi going over the, you know, what's the history versus what's the myth. And, oh, cool. and that's just me talking. Um, and I have a couple episodes like that, but for the most part, yeah, I'm talking with people because it, it always sounds better. It always sounds more natural. Yeah. I oh, know those are, yeah, I could, I could see that. I know one of my first interviews I did, um, turned out by, well, before I edited, it was over a two hour interview and I reached out to people I knew who I know would listen to the show and some and people in my Facebook group. And I basically said, should I make this two parts of that? Like, no, I'll listen to it. So, I mean, after I edited it, it got down to like 90 minutes. So it wasn't horrible, but I think my average interview is more like an hour. Um, but I've had a, a five or six that have, you know, gotten close to 90 minutes and I've sent them out in one part, but I could definitely see just you know, I could see it going both ways. <laughs> it kind of depends on, on, on the show and the audience and stuff like that. But uh, it's, so, so what do you think some of the biggest challenges have been in your podcast? For me, it's consistency uh, of release dates. Okay. I, over the years, I've gotten busier and busier. Uh, my goal is always to put out 20 episodes a year. Oh, okay. One every other week, something like that. And it gives me a you know couple of weeks off for holidays. Okay. And I think I've done that uh, twice over the course of my podcast. Uh, <laughs> So it's a goal to shoot for. I usually get about 18, 17, something like that over COVID because everybody was sitting around talking on the computer. I think I got 24 on that year. <laughs> nice. Nice. So one good positive thing for COVID here. Oh yeah. Well, COVID's reason I started mine. I, mine started originally as a radio show idea back in the nineties when I was working on radio and none of the stations I worked at would, would trust me enough that they, none of them thought a martial arts talk show would work. So they would right. never give me the chance. So I just kept trying and kept trying. And finally when COVID hit, I'm like, I'm just going to do a podcast. And I started reaching out to some contacts and, and I actually had uh, 25 recorded and mostly edited before I launched the show. <laughs> Cause I, I was determined and I, and I set this goal before I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> and I was determined to do one a week and yeah, and I've, I've pulled it off. I, I, I just, just did episode, I think 46 or 47 last week. And I haven't, wow. it's, there's been some tough ones. <laughs> that has been like where there was a couple where I was still editing the final, the episode at about like 12, 15 AM on release day and, and <laughs> got it done and released at like, you know, I, most of them I wanted to release at 12 or 5 AM. So it hit all the apps by the morning. And right. yeah, that one I, I released at 1230. I, I finished editing it like at 1222 and, and <laughs> polished it up and released it at 1230 that night. But I'm like, now I'm like five or six ahead again. So I should be good for a little while, but. <laughs> well, congrats on you. That's yeah. impressive. Oh, it's, yeah. It, well, originally I was like, gosh, I do more than one a week. And I'm glad I decided not to do more than one a week. My, my other podcast <laughs> is random. And then I have a third one I do. That's also weekly, but that one's a lot shorter and easier to do. That one. I actually had 40 episodes done before I launched. 
and just started Jeez. dropping them. But it's it's you know eight to ten minute episodes. And it's it's music based, so there's very little talking in that one. So it's, gotcha. it's literally a, a 15 minute episode, and that takes me 20 minutes to edit. Whereas me, with my background in audio, a one hour interview, with interview time, with editing time, polishing up, I'm spending three to five hours on each episode. So it's yeah. it's the curse of expertise when you hear the difference that nobody else can hear, it and you still got to fix it. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist when it comes to audio because I also do professional voiceover. So I mean, I want the audio to sound good and right. It's, it's yeah. And I know, like you said, most people wouldn't notice, but I would. So <laughs> right. Well, it's just like martial arts. You know, it's like well, my punch was off in this kata. It's like yeah, but nobody else would notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was there. The guy being punched might notice, but no, no, no one else would. <laughs> nice. So, who has been your most uh, interesting guest, or your your you know one of your you know biggest name guests you've had on your show so far? Well, as far as like big name guests, I guess I've had like um, uh, Dave Baker from Forged and Fire. Oh, cool. Okay. Show. Very. Cool. He's one of the judges on there. He, yeah. he was actually pretty cool. He was actually funny in that he goes after I was talking to him. He goes, "Well, you, you know, this is fun. You know who you should interview is my name." I'm like, okay, well, who's your neighbor? He goes, well, it's Anthony Delongis. I'm like, oh, I, I know who that is. Nice. He's like, the guy who taught Indiana Jones how to use his whip. I'm like, yes, I want to talk to him. <laughs> That's cool. And then after I interviewed him, he goes, well, you know who you should talk to is F. Ron Cash. He was the fight choreographer on the, t- the Highlander TV show. I'm like, yeah, I want to talk to him. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, with your background, you know who you should talk to. You should talk to Adrian. You should, you should interview Adrian Paul. I've been working on it. He goes through a, a, an agency, but I've been working on that one. Yeah. I have his, uh, like assistance contact info if you want it. So I've, I've, I've interviewed him a couple months back. I can hook you up. So I would love that. Yeah. I'll, I'll send that to you after we're done here. It's, it was a, he's you know very restrictive on time. You know, I was given 35 minutes <laughs> and, and we, gotcha. went, we went like 37 and he wasn't upset, but I knew I couldn't have pushed it much longer, but it was, it, I had to cut some of my normal questions and everything, but it was still a yeah, f- yeah. fun interview and he was great to talk to. He was super cool. And yeah, it was, it was a, you with, with the, uh, how much you love swords. I think you'd really enjoy it. So <laughs> as, as far as like some of the more interesting ones, mm-hmm. uh, there's been a couple of weird ones where, uh, like one guy I talked to is, uh, Dr. TJ Deshiobi. Mm-hmm. who was talking about African diaspora uh, martial arts. He had written a book a while ago. I found it, you know, somewhere in the back corner of a library. I think it was his doctoral thesis at the time. Uh, and talking about how African martial arts came over to the new world. And that was a fascinating discussion just because it was something I n- had no idea of. Okay. And we talked about extant African martial arts as they made their way here. Very cool. Kind of like you with a, the hearing about an art that you're not familiar with or know very little about or nothing about is... Yeah. It's, it's just, it's so much fun and you, you learn so much. And, and like you said, I think almost, almost every guest I've had has recommended another guest or more. <laughs> so it's the, the more interesting, the better they get. And, and there's some good ones out there, but it's, it's fun. And, you know, and when I, when I first started doing this, I was like, well, you're not going to have other martial arts podcasters on it. I'm like, why not? <laughs> like we're, we're all trying to do the same thing. It's not competition. We're all, yeah, you yeah. Know, the more of us that are out there, the more people that will hear these. <laughs> Yeah, you're not stealing from my big martial arts <laughs> casting money pool here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's the other thing, too. It's like a lot of people don't get that who haven't been. I mean, I've only been podcasting about three years, but I I followed it and I know a lot about it just with my broadcasting background. And, you know, it's less than 2% of every podcast in the world actually makes money doing it. So it's not like it's a... <laughs> I think over COVID, a lot of people thought it was a get rich quick thing. And like all these people jumped into it and 
there was like thousands and thousands of podcasts that didn't break seven episodes and they were gone. So (laughs) we do it because we enjoy it. That's the important thing. So (laughs) to be honest, I kind of do it because like I said, it gives me a chance to talk to people. I I just want to talk to and I do it for myself and everybody else just gets to come, come along for the ride. Oh, that makes sense. That's the thing. You got to do it for why you want to do it. And it's, yeah, it's, you know, some guests I hear on multiple podcasts and there's other ones I hear where they're, where you're the only one that has them or someone else. And it's, you know, not, not every guest is a fit for every podcast either. And, and it just kind of depends. And plus we all don't want exactly the same guest either. And it's, it's nice to hear the variety and stuff. And some, there's some crossover, but right. you know, for the most part, the, the shows are different and we're getting, asking different questions and getting different answers. And it's, 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 it's good for martial arts as a whole. That's the important thing, I think. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So let's say someone approaches you and they're thinking of getting involved in martial arts. They know nothing about it at all. And they're just like, I, I want to get involved. What are some tips you would give them to look for in a school, to look for an instructor and maybe some things to avoid? You know, people always ask, what's the best martial art for me? I'm saying, well, it's the one that you can make it to every time. So honestly, distance is probably the most uh, and convenience. So maybe time schedule of that too. But those are honestly the two most important things. If you have no idea what you're looking for, then going and watching a class, you're not going to know anything about the actual martial art, but you can get a feel for the students. Right. What, you know, if you go there and all the students are, you know, standing in line and doing exactly what they're told to and mimicking the moves, for some people, that's what they want. They're looking for that structure. They're looking for that hierarchy um you know maybe they're i don't know a professional podcaster and they don't have very much structure in their life you know (laughs) right uh for some people you know they live in a very structured world and going to a structured hobby at night would be you know just adding fuel to the fire so they would want something that's more relaxed structurally they would want something that's more mentor student relationship rather than you know cobra kai sitting in front of the dojo you know (laughs) (laughs) cobra kai cobra kai <laughs> so I, it, it depends on what you're looking for, and it depends on what's close by to you. And then don't worry about the style. Worry about what it is you want to get out of it. Do you want athleticism? Do you want something that's self-defense in six months? Do you want? It's like most people say they want two things: self-defense and and physical fitness. That's the only two reasons people ever take up martial arts, if you ask them. <laughs> but. There's obviously a lot more reasons why people stay in martial arts. So honestly, just the first thing is be honest with what yourself and what you're looking for. If you're dead set on, you know, like me, I wanted to learn Japanese swordsmanship. Well, then, you know, go look for that one thing and you might have to drive a little bit farther. But, you know, that that's going to be the most important thing is what can you make it to consistently? And then what's in your area? And then what's your general goal that you want to get out of the martial art? I like that answer. So being an educator, and first of all, thank you for that. I know that's one of the most thankless jobs out there over the last few decades, and thank you for doing that so much. But being an educator, do you think we'll ever see, maybe in our lifetime, martial arts as part of the school curriculum? God, I hope not. Really? Okay. (laughs) Because in order to put it in a public school, it would have to be so sanitized and standardized that it would lose everything that makes martial arts interesting. Okay. One of the things that makes martial artists in general, you know, you're talking about, you know, how, what would you look at an instructor? Mm-hmm. Martial arts are very iconoclastic to begin with. We're very, very individualistic. So having a standardization of this stuff wouldn't work in the U.S. 
in some places where they kind of expect the standardization. Like I know in Japan, they have judo clubs and kendo clubs and yeah. stuff like that. But if you were to have it, you know, it's like, well, for two weeks in this PE class, we're going to do karate, you know, or something like that. It would be so watered down and so standardized. It would be boring. Someone who does martial arts would do this and be bored of it, you know? Okay. So I really hope it never becomes part of standardized education okay. in the U.S. Interesting thought. So, because well, I, I know in some areas it's happened, just not nationwide. I, I know Texas had it in many, many schools in the '80s or '90s. That Chuck Norris actually led the the charge on that and, and mm-hmm. had it, and it was mandatory sixth through eighth grade. And they, and I want to say it was like ten years they did it, and it was basically in place of a PE class. So it was like a you know the full year long they did it and had so really. You did it something like that where it's an elective where it's people that want to specifically be there. Yeah, and maybe. You could do it that way. When I was in college, I took uh, a couple semesters of fencing. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, again, the swords, just because it, it was a PE class that I wanted to take. So, yeah. you know, it exposed me to it. I, I don't think I really learned hardly anything, but it did expose me to it. So maybe there's an aspect of that. It could be useful, you know, but I, I don't know. It'd be hard to actually make a class of it and, and come up with a standardized grading that you could grade somebody for with it in a, you know, six month, nine month period. You know, if you don't know these terms, then you fail. Well, that's has nothing to do with whether you know the martial art or not. You know, there's so many different aspects of a martial art that you can gain skill in. You know, I, you might know the, the complete history of your system, but you know, you can't throw a back punch very well, you know, that type of thing. Oh, that makes sense. I know like when I, when my first year in college or two years in college, I actually took uh, Taekwondo for a credit mm. and it was, you know, and I don't even remember back then. I don't remember how the grade went. I, I think pretty much if you showed up, you got an A. I mean, we, we tested, we got, we got belts and stuff, but it's, it's not like, I don't think they were going to fail you for not passing your belt test, you know, right. but it's just, you you had to show up a certain percentage of the classes and take part in the class. Pretty much. I don't think anyone got, it's either, you either got an A or an F. I don't think it was anything below that. It was pretty right. much, pretty much pass fail. Yeah. The instructor definitely wasn't uh wasn't ideal. <laughs> he, he actually drove me to the point where I almost hated martial arts and was going to give it up for life. Uh, and, and luckily someone, he was, people nowadays will get the reference, but there was a long time when, you know, younger people had no idea what I was talking about, but he was literally John Kreese. Uh, he, he was, uh, he was that evil karate kid instructor and all he cared about was competition, didn't care if students got hurt and stuff. And, gotcha. and yeah, yeah. So I, luckily I, I, I stuck it out and found a better school. So <laughs> thank God. So now primarily you've been doing traditional martial arts, a lot sword based. So what are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC? And are you a fan? Uh, I'm a casual fan. I'm, I'm, I appreciate what it is, but for me, it's kind of like, you know, to use an example, like Olympic Taekwondo. It's like, I appreciate what it is for what it is, but that doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, seek it out and watch it per se. I'll, I'll watch actually Olympic uh, judo. I, I like the last time as it was on, yeah. it was COVID and I could stay up till three in the morning and watch whenever I wanted to. <laughs> You know, I actually watched a lot of the Olympic judo matches and I actually gained a new appreciation for that. MMA is in some ways, I think it was a boost in the arm that a lot of martial artists in the world needed, but it's its own separate entity. MMA has become a style in amongst itself. Now it has its own specific purpose. It has its own specific function. That makes sense. I know you mentioned Olympic Taekwondo. I, I can't watch that. I mean, even after, well, I mean, cause I, I studied traditional Taekwondo for years, for decades and, yeah. and we do tournaments, we do the sport side, but it's still, even the, the way we do sport, Taekwondo is so different. I mean, the Olympics, I've never seen a punch thrown in the Olympics in my life. No, it's, 
it's a weird entity. Yeah. Uh, and we actually score points on, on punches, the tournaments that our school goes to. So it's completely different. I mean, I, we, we've gotten, we've actually had guys get excessive force for punches too hard. So it's, 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 <laughs> it is, it's a, it's, you know, that's, that's why like people go online and they categorize every system of like Taekwondo under any martial art under one umbrella. It's like, no, just cause what you see is bad <laughs> and like the Mick Dojo, it doesn't mean every school what that name is. So it's, you gotta, every school is different. Every instructor is different and. Yeah, I, I don't know. MMA is a weird thing. I Again, I appreciate the physicality of it. I, I really appreciate the athleticism of it. But, you know, it's like, how mixed martial art is it? I mean, I never seen a screamador with his sticks in there. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's like, it's still people's, it's like, it's a combination of all the best parts. Well, no, 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 you're missing weapons. Yeah. Uh, you're missing multiple opponents, because we know the instant those things happen, uh, it completely changes it. And different rules apply to those situations so it is it is what it is and it's very good at that so i I appreciate it for what it is but it is not the end-all be-all of martial arts agree all right so if you if you had to pick one martial artist that you truly admire whether it's someone you've actually trained with actually met or just someone you've you know idolized through books or movies or something is there one you could put at the top of your list yes easily it's uh the person whose system i'm studying now and i know it seems like a cop-out answer but he is so advanced in his techniques that except for the word magical, I can't think of a way to describe them. Oh, okay. And a lot of it is Ike art. So it's very subtle things and nothing that he's doing looks like what the effect should be. So if you watch anything online of his, it looks, it looks like the BS stuff where, you know, he kind of touches somebody and they kind of collapse, but I'll guarantee you I've had it done to me. It buckles your knees and you, collapse it's playing with your balance in such a weird way that your body can't compensate for it. wow and he does it unarmed he does it with sword he does it with a staff i've seen him do it with rifles uh it he is one of these people who this is the way i think of it it's like right like so you have like collegiate athletes then you have guys there in the nba mm-hmm. you have the the lebron james michael jordan kobe bryant right those people who even amongst the best people in the world stand out as being that much better he's one of those guys he's one of those guys that even amongst the best people i've ever seen he stands out that's saying a lot that's impressive I, yeah it, it it i know it sounds like no touch knockout stuff and i know that's <laughs> bullshit, yeah. and it's not that it's playing with your balance in such a weird and subtle way that you fall down and you have no no choice but to fall down that's cool that's the kind of stuff i i, I get a kick of and i wish we had you know local a local system like that I could check out because I, I said, I just loved exploring other styles and, you know, we had one local Okinawan school, then they do some, some pressure points and stuff. And I remember that one of the first times I was watching their school and one of those young, like 16 year old kid was watching. And when the instructor started talking about pressure points, the kid kind of laughed and the instructor invited him out on the stage. And I forgot what move he did, but the kid's like left leg went numb and he fell down <laughs> and was like, yeah, don't, don't mouth off when you're in someone else's school like that. <laughs> No, that that's the quickest way to become okay. Yep. 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 Cuz <laughs> pressure points do work. <laughs> yeah, they're not magical, but they do work. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a philosophy you've learned over 25 plus years in the martial arts that you really hold true, you keep coming back to, uh, maybe you, you when you teach, you make sure that's one of the first philosophies you you teach on your students? I don't know if it's anything I would I think one of the things I have to keep doing is keep enjoying it. Whatever it is, I have to enjoy it otherwise, you know, there's a great Chinese phrase, uh, uh, taste the bitter, okay. basically, you know, embrace the suck to quote the Marine slogan. 
You know, it's like, even when you're doing the hard stuff and you're like, yeah, but it's sucking because it's going to feel better later. It's, you know, (laughs) when you're, when you're doing these things, it's like, man, I'm really not getting this. I'm doing the same thing over and over. I'm becoming more and more frustrated. Well, that's the bitter part that you get the sweet taste and the relief of it later. So, you know, enjoy the bad parts as much as you enjoy the good parts of it. I don't know if that's something I can teach right away, but that's, that's definitely my personal philosophy in martial arts. Good. Nice. I like that. All right. Some fun ones to wrap up. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? (laughs) Yeah, you're not on video right now. You can't see the bookshelf right behind me. (laughs) I always have to ask. It says, you know, it depends on what you mean. I have specific things for what people recommend. If I was recommending one to a beginning martial artist, someone who has only been in the martial arts, uh, in my my view, you know, three or four years is still beginning. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's been in there three or four years or less uh, is living the martial way by Forrest E. Morgan. That's okay. probably one of the best kind of mindset, strategical thinking books out there, just in general for martial artists. And it isn't style specific, so it works really well. Okay. I'm actually writing that one down. I love adding books to my to my library myself. So <laughs> That one's, uh, a, yeah, I, I had a friend give me that one because I kept stealing and borrowing his copy of it. So he finally just bought me a copy of it. <laughs> nice. My, my, my go-to for kind of the same level, actually, my, my go-to for people at any level that ask for a book, the first one I recommend is, is Joe Hyam's Zen and the Martial Arts. That's my second one, yep. Nice. <laughs> there we go. Okay. And you sound like you're, you're kind of like me. You grew up in like the 80s and 90s. So do you have oh, yeah. a favorite martial arts video game? See, I was never much of a video game person. Okay. Uh, I... I didn't own like a video game system at all or, you know, go into the arcades much until, yeah, probably about 1990. If I had to pick one, though, I did play like the multiplayer, you know, four-person Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one. Nice. The screen scroller one. I played that and finally beat that game in the arcade once. My cousin and I bought like $20 worth of quarters each and just (laughs) kept playing it until we won. That's awesome. So I think that would be probably the closest one. You're the first person to mention that game. I like that. <laughs> usually, <laughs> Ironically, most... I was always Donatello, not the guy with the swords. Either. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Usually most people mention the game. That it's one I've heard one of the, usually it's a two or three people have already said it. You're the first one to mention that one. And I'm so, <laughs> I used to love well, that I, game. <laughs> I don't know if it, I mean, I guess it qualifies as a martial arts video game. I oh, mean, yeah, they're ninja. Come on. <laughs> so it's Yes. Do it. That's awesome. All right. Favorite martial arts TV show. Hmm. Honestly, there's been a couple of them that are so good that are on right now. Okay. You know, we mentioned Cobra Kai is yeah. his personal favorite right now. Uh, I also like more of the sci-fi aspect. So Into the Badlands was oh, really good for the first two seasons. Amazing show. Yes. I, I, I'm about a season, well, about half a season behind, but even uh, The Warrior, which was the, you know, Shannon Lee's uh, yep. redo of Bruce Lee's uh, original story. Mm-hmm. A pretty good one. So there's been a lot that's been on recently. It's almost... I, I descri- somebody had described this on my show and I, and I kind of like the idea we're in a, a, a post martial arts world now. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where, you know, martial arts movies were a thing. Then it kind of downgraded to where, well, it's like every hero knows martial arts. So there isn't a martial arts movie, right? Uh, born identity, right? The born series. Yes. It wasn't a martial arts movie per se, but there was a lot of martial arts in it because everybody knew martial arts in the movie. Right. Now it seems like we're going back to where the martial arts are becoming the point of the, the TV show or the movie again, which is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, speaking of movies, favorite martial arts movie. Um, again, I, I have to stretch the definition of martial arts movie mm-hmm. because most of the classic samurai movies aren't martial arts movies, but there's so much martial arts ideas in them. Right. The seven samurai. There's so many 
samurai martial arts ideas, but there's very little, you know, fighting and kicking scenes going on. Right. There's a couple of scenes where it's like sword fights would be one, two, done. You know, that type of thing. You know what? Ironically, I just watched a movie. It got really bad reviews. Uh, It was The Last Duel with by Ridley Scott had Matt Damon and Adam Driver and Ben Affleck in it, of all people. It's a really slow movie and it's like two hours and 45 minutes. Okay. It's a good, it, it, I, I describe it as a Rashomon meets the duelist. So it's the same story told from three different points of view. And then it ends up being a, a really nice, brutal fight scene of knights in armor for like the last 20 minutes of the movie. And it actually is pretty good historically, except for the helmets. But, you know, <laughs> they always have to take off the helmets so you can see the actors. Right. But with that one movie exception aside, they do a lot of really good historical things. They grab swords half hilt and try to stab with them. They use the 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 hilt as a hammer to try and beat through the armor. They do a lot of really good historical uh, HEMA things in that movie. Cool. All right. This this final question, I'm gonna, I'm going to alter a little for you, just because this is a new one I've added recently. And usually I ask Uh-oh. people, it doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, but usually I'll ask the guest if they have a movie that has their favorite or most most realistic martial arts fight scene. But I'd like to specify it for you to more if we if you want to going specifically for a sword fight scene. <laughs> So ironically, I have to go back to the old uh, samurai, the Kurosawa stuff. Okay. Uh, like I said, Seven Samurai, if you've seen the movie, there's the yes. one scene with the expert swordsman, and they're fighting with bamboo, and they go do a duel, and he goes, ha, we tied. It's like, nah, I won that one. <laughs> and they do it with real swords, and he actually does win. He's like, eh, shit, I told you. <laughs> That's really close to good stuff. Uh, Yojimbo has a couple of really, really nice, realistic swordsmanship stuff there. Mm-hmm. And Sanjuro, which is the second uh, one, has a couple of really nice swordsmanship stuff in there. But it's always, you know, one or two cuts and done. One or two cuts and done. You know, it's not the the long lightsaber duel type of thing. <laughs> right, right. Which so, is funny because a lot of that was based on Kurosawa. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, but uh, the, the, those three movies in particular actually had Japanese uh, sword masters kind of teaching Mufune how to do the stuff. Nice. What he does has real technique in it. Okay. No, that's God. That's a great, great. I mean, I, I, I love Kurosawa. I, I own a lot of the movies on DVD and I love some of the classic samurai stuff. And, and, and I'm just like, I'll watch any martial arts movie, any martial arts TV show. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And, and, and even if it's bad, I'll finish it at least. <laughs> Cause that's why I've watched some bad martial arts movies over the years. So I'm actually, that's an idea for a possible future episode, just specifically talking about like bad and cheesy martial arts movies with a few different guests. So that might, might be a fun one that I've been thinking about, but so, yeah. So if you want one like that, if you haven't seen it, this is one of my weird cult classic favorite movies that you have to look up really hard to find. Okay. It's called Six String Samurai. Don't think I've seen that one. Even the premise of it will make it seem weird. So the premise of the movie is in the 1950s, the Russians bombed the U.S. and took over. And the last bastion of freedom was Las Vegas, where Elvis became king. Okay. So there is a guitar playing, rockabilly playing, uh, Buddy Holly lookalike with a samurai sword who's trying to get to Las Vegas because Elvis just died and they need a new king. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I, you know, I mean, con- considering I liked, I liked the movie Bubba Hotep, I would probably like that. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, yeah. There's a... <laughs> There's a fun story in that my my cousin's a film major. Oh, cool. 
I'm like, okay, you've got to see this movie. This is just the weirdest ass movie I've ever seen. We go to um, a video store. This is dating me a bit. And we're looking for it. And I'm looking for it. And <laughs> up at the counter, I hear a guy go, excuse me, do you have six string samurai? I'm like, there can't be two people in the world looking for this movie right now. <laughs> so we bought the video. And there's a, a couple of scenes that, you know, he liked the movie a lot too. He was a film studies major, so he started showing it. He uses one example where they're using hand cams and starts showing it as an example of hand cam use for a project in his class. And his professor goes, why'd you pick this movie? He says, well, you know, I like the hand cam here. It goes back and forth between that and the study cam. He goes, huh, you know, I was a second unit director on this movie. <laughs> wow. That's great. So there's just a lot of weird personal connections with that movie. So it's from 1998. I'm looking at the, the poster for it right now. Wow. That even just the poster <laughs> just looks bad. <laughs> Vegas needs a new King. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I will, I will be looking for this online and watching it this week sometime. I, I, Please do. Even uh, if you have to pay like the three ninety nine for it, it is worth it. I'm, I'm excited to watch this. It's, like I said, I'll, I'll give any, anything to do with martial arts. I'll give it a shot. And I, like I said, I've seen some horrible ones over the years. I mean, I remember when I still remember when Jim Cotta came out <laughs> and me and my friends yeah. actually ran to the video store to get it. And I'm like, God, this was a waste of like 79 cents or whatever we paid to rent it. But we watched the whole thing. So <laughs> nice, nice. So anything else we need to, we, we want to mention or plug? I mean, I know you have the, the podcast and, and whatnot. Any, anything else we need to mention? And, and I'll definitely put a link for the podcast in the show notes and, and, and promote that as well as I can. But yeah, the only thing I just got to mention about the podcast is uh, <laughs> on January 1st, apparently my podcast server died and ate a bunch of old episodes. Oh, So I had to re-upload it. So anybody that is listening and is like, hey, you know, they haven't put out a new episode. I had to like shut down the old one and put it up again. It's the exact same picture, exact same name and everything else. You just got to go download it all again or subscribe to it all over again. That's why on my Google, it suddenly said they were all from 2022. I was wondering about that. (laughs) I was going to ask you. I had to upload them all and I only uploaded like the last 40 of them. So, Oh wow, man, that's brutal. (laughs) If anybody wants the old episodes, I have almost all of them. I'll send you a link to like a Google drive. You can just download them yourself. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, if you want, we can, I don't know if you want to just put that in the show notes, if you'd want to do that or not, but sure. I'm good with that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Send me that link and we'll, and this episode, I mean, you're, if my math is right, you're going to be episode like number 51 um, and episode 46 is coming out next week. So I'm a little over a month ahead right now, which is a good thing for me. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, I will definitely get a hold of you when, when the episode's ready to drop and, and, and get ready and stuff. But I, I truly appreciate your time. I, I've loved hearing the stories and, and I, and I know I have a, a new book and a new movie to add to my list for sure. So <laughs> yeah, let me know when you watch that movie. It's weird, but I love the movie. Okay. No, I will let you know for sure. Trust me. (laughs) There's always the the bad movies I recommend. I just actually just last week at work, one of my coworkers heard me talk about martial arts movies and he's like, I love those cheesy eighties movies. And, and I I asked him, I said, have you ever seen, they call me Bruce and they still call me Bruce. And he'd never heard of them. I'm like, you you need to go watch both of those movies and then we need to talk. So hopefully tomorrow at work, (laughs) he'll have watched them both over the weekend and we can discuss it because those are, those are two of my favorite cheesy eighties martial arts movies. I love them both so much. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen those or not, but. Oh yeah, I've seen those. Okay, good, good. If not, I was going to just lose a little respect for you. So (laughs) I'm glad glad you've seen them. (laughs) It's like, come on, come on, come on. I'd be, 
I know you, you might have to be one if I decide to do that podcast episode with like three or four different panelists and we talk about cheesy martial arts movies of the 80s. I might have to have you join in on that one. That could be fun. I'd love to for that. Cool, cool. I will definitely be in touch because I, I, another person that said yes also. So if I can find two more, I think we're going to go for that in the next few months. It could be fun to do. So, But uh, cool. once again, just thanks for your time, Jared. I, I truly appreciate it, and, and we will be oh, in no touch. Problem. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.